Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you through the show. We're in lockdown again. Still in lockdown, we're all in lockdown, and uh, this must be our what? Uh, Frank Washkick is our executive editor. Which how many shows have we done now? Must be over twenty. Must be. Math is, has never advanced. Math, especially <laughs> when we get into how many weeks we've been working from home, has never been my strong suit. So, uh, but it's it's almost six months, or it's it will be soon, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Must be I can tw- tell you, it's Thursday. I, yes, I know that. <laughs> Can you count back from 100 in uh, gradations of seven? That's the big I, question. I put myself through it, and I made it all the way through, believe it or Good. not. So. You can recognize an elephant. Um, and we have a great guest this week. We've got Kayanne Shaneman, who is SVP and Director of Corporate Affairs at Curly Company. How are you doing, Kayanne? I'm great. I'm thrilled to be with you all today. Yeah, good to chat to you, based in Virginia, and uh, you joined Curly Company in January, so uh, yeah. interesting time to join a new uh, agency, uh, <laughs> a new gig. So we'll find out all about that. Then we'll talk about topical subjects. We'll pick up on the PR Week Awards. They were last Thursday, our big first ever virtual PR Week Awards. Um, it was terrific, actually, really enjoyable. I hope everybody liked it out there. They seem, you seem to, so we'll talk about that. Talk about the launch of our 40 Under 40 list. Weber Shandwick, they've relaunched the Got Milk campaign and they've done the advertising for it. So that's interesting for a PR firm. We'll talk about that uh, President Trump interview with Jonathan Swan of Axios and uh, more diversity stats being released by agencies, which is good to see. Edelman and Taylor are the latest two. And I think we're on the deadline for that Hold the PR, uh, Hold the Press um, asking agencies to uh, release their data. So it's good to see some of them doing it. Talk about Pinterest. It's been spiking in lockdown and get a quick update on TikTok and Snap. And Covet PR, Sarah Brooks, former guest on the podcast. Her firm has been acquired this week. This is what happens, listeners, <laughs> on the PR week. Great business outcomes. So we'll find out more about that. McCann, let's talk to you first. Um yes. I had a curly company in January and the interesting move because you were at Ketchum before that for about a decade, I think. That's you were, right. Yeah, leading the DC office and a senior role there. Tell yes. us a bit about Curly Company and also what may, what was the attraction of moving from Ketchum, one of the big holding company shops, into a more sort of independent, smaller outfit. Sure, sure. So Curly Company is a full service PR firm. So everything from, you know, creative and design and digital and video shop down to our core specialties of crisis, digital communications and corporate and public affairs. So while we do, um, you know, anything under the sun that we do in PR and branding, our real core um, and what we're known for is that crisis digital and corporate and public affairs. Um, That being said, even though we are full service, we are small. So um, we are about 15 people. Our office is two blocks from the White House. Um, we miss it <laughs> dearly, but you yeah. know, we're all in this new new next normal, um, you know, with the pandemic. Um, but really to the core, um, you know, we are women owned, women led, and it's 
you know, I knew and heard about Curly actually because um, we shared a client with Ketchum for many years, um, you know, and, uh, you know, worked alongside each other. And so our founder, um, Jennifer Curly, uh, founded Curly 18 years ago. Um, this, uh, you know, this month, um, she came from Edelman and her background. And prior to that, um, the Clinton administration. And she and I just kept in touch and always, you know, share different you know, experiences, mentorship, um, that sort of thing. And when I was looking to make a move, um, I love my decade at Ketchum. It is like getting a PhD in communications, um, you know, but there there comes a time where you're looking to do something different. And I really wasn't sure what that might have been. Um, and in talking to a lot of different um, people that I look up to, that I've worked alongside, what I really wanted to do was work on clients and issues that I'm passionate about. Out and do that in a way that, you know, it's very different running a Washington office of 100 people than it is running a portfolio of clients on a day to day basis. And I really miss that actual client work. And that's, you know, what led me to Curly, the, the um, culture, the, the people that I already knew and, and loved and worked alongside, and then the ability to really build my own um, clients that I am passionate about and get to work alongside people that I respect in, in you know, solving their problems. Yeah, it's a conundrum, isn't it, that the higher up the food chain you go, the less you do of the things that you probably <laughs> about your job. I think the same applies in journalism. You know, you end up right. meetings all the time or managing or, you know, rather than actually doing the, the thing you like, don't you? And so that's a common conundrum and um, great to go back to what you love. What right. has it lived up to that, um, you know, expectation? Obviously, it's not. Yeah. So um, and, and I think you're talking to us from Virginia. And like you said, your office yeah. is couple of blocks from the White House. So uh, talk us through it. Whether Was there an occasion when you thought, yeah, this is what I came back for? Absolutely. One of the first clients I signed on um, was a major health system in the area that, um, you know, I'd known for years, um, the different leadership, and they had undergone a, you know, C-suite change in there and a transformation. And so I was really excited for that corporate um, type narrative, branding, repositioning, you know, the consumer outreach by way of the patient community, that full suite of work. Now, think about that. That's in January. And then by the time we're in the end of February, we're setting up a whole COVID command center and pivoting and doing a whole other line of work where I'm very much hands-on and working with that leadership, a multidisciplinary team, and navigating something all of us are new to right now. So the ability to be able to um, dive deep on site with that client and help them navigate whatever the issues are. In this case, it's COVID and we continue to do that, but absolutely it's lived up to the hype to be able to, you know, I'm passionate about that group. I'm a cancer survivor myself. Um, I had an early diagnosis of colorectal cancer on my 40th birthday, so three years ago. And that is where I went, was treated. I am passionate about that health system and the way they care for patients and to be able to champion and share that with more um, patients in the community is hugely rewarding. Um, 
beyond that, you know, uh, several other clients that I work on are all areas I'm passionate about. So I have a higher um, learning client where we work on how to better serve today's students and make the, you know, higher education more equitable. Again, COVID changed and actually accelerated the landscape on issues like um, broadband, 5G, equity, you know, everything combined with the pandemic of, you know, racism and inequity and our structures due to um, COVID. And so every day being able to work on issues that I'm passionate about is hugely rewarding. Yeah, that's certainly um, very, very resonant now, both the the medical southern and Good to mm-hmm. hear. Made a good, made a full recovery, and glad to hear that. Um, working with the hospital and and higher education. I mean, my nephew's heading off to Tulane uh, to go to college. Oh, congrats! <laughs> yeah, a lot of other kids are heading off to college or thinking about going back to school, and it's it's a very uncertain time, isn't it? Because we sure. Just- what you know is this going to prompt another spike in in uh, infections? How's it right. going to work? How confident are the teaching staff, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got a lot of communications issues to navigate there for sure. Yeah. Um, tell us about being two blocks from the White House then. Is that so do you do a lot of government relations type work or, you know, mm-hmm. you like affairs, you said, how does that? We impact? do. We, again, the back, yeah, the backbone of what we do and, you know, is founded on is the public affairs, more so on issue advocacy. So we don't get involved in, um, you know, politics per se, but we work, we have a trade association practice group um, and we work with a number of different corporations or trade associations and industries to advance their issues and causes, both in Washington and with Congress and the administration and in state capitals as well. So um, for a number of different clients, we are running both state um, element in terms of, you know, media, um, op-eds, grassroots, but also the um, digital targeting and the campaigns that we can use on the ground and geo-targeting to be able to carry the messages to um, specific audiences, decision makers as well. So um, it's, a, as you can imagine, it's been a busy time for the past few years, um, even more so now compounded with um, covid making sure different industries are being taken care of. So everything from designations for essential workers to, um, you know, funding for, you know, PPP and small business and, um, you know, what does the future look like and how can we ensure that our clients and their industries, um, their voice is heard. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, talk us uh, through what it's been like working as an agency in lockdown. Um, did you have a work from home yeah. culture anyway? Uh, has that been mm-hmm. a challenge? Has that been and how has the team um, coped with that both internally and also with in terms of outwardly for your clients? Yeah. So we actually had a very office centric culture. We are very collaborative. Um, you know, we had a new office space uh, Jennifer had built out last summer specifically for hosting events with different partners and, and you know, like Dress for Success and others. So unlike, you know, many other agencies that can be all virtual, we were actually really grounded by being in our office. But we um, very early on 
maybe because of the line of sight we had through some of our clients, we did switch to work from home and we created the policies and guidelines and we still are to date right now. We do, like everyone, a lot of Zooms, <laughs> yeah. uh, regular staff meetings. Um, we still try to do and, and you know, brainstorms and, and icebreakers and not just have it be all business. Um, we do miss the on-site collaboration though, as creatives, um, you know, and when you're working together on clients and pulling together all the elements, there is something to be said for actually having that energy together. And so we're, again, like everyone else working out, what does that look like in the future? And, and, or, and also how can we still capture that um, in this current situation? Yeah, I agree with you. We'll create a yeah. business and uh, including journalism, I think benefit from that and bouncing ideas off each other, newsroom style environment. But um, exactly. yeah. we are very, we're also very lucky in that we can do our work from home as well. So it's, uh, Absolutely. Uh, we have to be thankful for that. So, yeah, great to find out about more about Curly Company. So mm-hmm. we'll get contributions to the stories moving forward. So, Kayanne, great yes. to have you on the show. Uh, Frank, let's talk about the PR Week Awards, the big first ever virtual event last Thursday, and uh, our 40 Under 40 launch on Monday. It's been a big week for PR Week. It has been. And and where to start uh, between the two events? Um, so I want to highlight one thing that I think might have been – um, my favorite winner, if I can pick one, which is the uh, the campaign of the year winner, uh, which is uh, Ancestry and Weber Shanwick's work on the Railroad Ties campaign. And it's a really, really good campaign, you know, really uh, just, just fantastic work. And it, it really just sort of tugs at you when you watch it because uh, it, it shows you how people today using Ancestry have uh tied their uh heritage back to people who were rescued via the the underground railroad and it, it's a really interesting thing and and so many people today are are into you know tracing their heritage back and learning things about you know where their ancestors came from and and it's it's also just such a a timely campaign with uh, all of the conversations that are going on about diversity and about the, the treatment of black Americans in this country historically. Um, just just a really great campaign. Can't say enough. Good it really was. It. Yeah, it really was. And it mixed um, data, content, yeah. um, you know, all the elements of a modern campaign. It made a great film, a very emotional film when the black families all got together and, you know, uh, made these realizations about their 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 history it was terrific and very timely as you say although you know these these were ju- judged back in december 2019 so it's funny how yeah. things coalesce and um it's the same with our communicator of the year michael phelps who um we had an interview with and he just released his um documentary last wednesday the weight of gold about the mental health difficulties of, of olympians and uh, again great timing so yeah, it was good fun. Um, did you? What was the virtual environment like for you? Did you network away furiously, Frank? Were you in the lounge and hanging out with people? And I have to admit, I didn't get to network away as much as I, I would have liked, of course, uh, because we were working on making all of the content as real time uh, as right. we could, both on social media and on the website and uh, in your inbox. So uh, I was doing a lot of that, but it, you know, it's. Yeah, look, it's it's never the same as in person, but in person is impossible right now. So um, I think the platform we had was a, a pretty good next best thing. 
It was. It was. It was um, fun, and you could do things like a post-game show. You know, with a panel discussion with the jury members, which I, I can just imagine trying to do that at the end of the night at Cipriani when everyone's heading for the dance floor and they've had a few drinks and they want to catch up with their friends. It probably wouldn't have uh, flown. Whereas in a virtual environment, right. you can and a trivia contest. Trivia, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, case studies in the library, so it was good. So, yeah, um, KN, I mean, how PR Week Awards were hopefully on your agenda at Ketchum, and I know they yeah. were yeah. every year, but uh, yeah. and early company as well. It, how, how important is it to celebrate the great work and great teams and individuals? It's amazing, and it's that, you know, that time of year where we all come together and really, you know, applaud each other and the work that we're doing as communicators. For me this year, you know, I, I am with a new firm and, and and love that, but I couldn't help but just rejoice for Barry Rafferty's win for Outstanding Agency Professional. I mean, hugely well-earned. Um, what a mentor she is to so many of us. And as the first woman to lead a top, you know, global PR firm, right, yeah. it's a perfect bridge to, you know, now being myself, you know, and at Curly Company as a woman owned, woman led and how important that is to me and so many others to see her recognition, I think was well earned and really applauded. It really was. Uh, it was a great reaction to that. And uh-huh. uh, Barry's, of course, in the interim has gotten, Got a new gig, very different. Yeah. Wells Fargo, <laughs> um, yeah. challenging, but I'm sure she'll do a brilliant job there. And, uh, Absolutely. And what she makes of it. Frank's great to see the 40 under 40 list. That always gets a load of traffic and engagement, doesn't it? The next generation of leaders. Yeah, it's it, it's fair to say it's one of our most uh, anticipated products of the year. And once again, it really it really captures just the wide range of work uh, that the young up and coming generation is working on uh, throughout the industry. I mean, we have people on the list from, from parallel, which is a a cannabis company. Uh, We have a lot of agency founders uh, this year, you know, people who really took a chance and went out and founded their, uh, their own firm, you know, uh, we have people from Facebook. We have people from Google Health, you know, Johnson & Johnson. So uh, healthcare companies that are so important uh, in the current environment. And, uh, you know, it's, it's every year it's a terrific list. This year is no exception. It's a really good list again. It is very talented, very diverse. And we, and we have, um, rec- you know, we've rewarded and honored smaller firms as well as the large ones. So mm-hmm. it crosses all parts of the spectrum so that's really good frank another interesting story this week was weber shandwick they've um relaunched the whole got milk advertising campaign so this is interesting on a number of levels one it's a pr firm being the lead creative agency two it's the return of a really iconic campaign so talk us through it yeah so um it's everybody knows the got milk campaign or, or remembers it from its first iteration or i should say first few iterations really yeah um and it's a campaign for the milk processor education program which is is a little bit better known as milk pep which is this um a kind of collective of dairy brands and and um it, i think it's fair to say it caught on early because you you could see in your social media feeds that that video of um, katie ledecky swimming in the pool yeah. while balancing mm-hmm. a glass of chocolate milk so uh <laughs> looks like they've had some early success with it but like you mentioned it's interesting because it's a pr shop handling the creative on this 25 year old campaign 
It was originally created by Goodby Silverstein and Partners, uh, later at Low Campbell Ewald, um, which worked with Weber when Weber worked strictly on the PR for it because they were both part of IPG. Both are part of IPG, I should say. So, um, you know, it's a really, it's good to see a PR firm getting this work and then stepping up and doing something interesting with it. It is. So it was very socially led as well, which is how a PR yeah. can compete in that space. And I and you mentioned the Ledecky challenge. Frank, you know they sent that out as a challenge. I, I can see you maybe running a, a leg of the of the marathon, you know, when it comes back with the uh, <laughs> on your head. What do you think? I, I can't claim my form is, is quite that good. Um, but I have to say, I, and I say this as somebody who, who cannot swim very well, you know, it was impressive to, to see her do that. It was incredible. Yeah. What yeah. do you think about this, uh, Kayan, a PR firm, you know, heading yeah. into the advertising space? This is, this is great for the industry, isn't it? I think, I think we're at such an exciting time and COVID has magnified the need for us to truly be agile and 360 in, in what we're doing and be able to um, not silo off those, you know, those digital creative activations like, you know, with the Katie Ledecky and the swimming and um, redefine what it means to do mm. communications as a discipline and not break it off into so many different pieces. I think that's when we see the best results. Absolutely. I agree with you. And it's uh, good to see. Frank, really interesting interview with the President Trump uh, this week with uh, one of not, not the best known, it's well known to us, but maybe to the public, not, not one of the better known media outlets, Axios with uh, Jonathan Swan, their reporter. It was a fascinating interview, wasn't it? It was. And uh, in doing some research for this podcast, I I was surprised even at just how many listicle articles there are out there in the days after that are just like the nine most outrageous things that were said uh, during this interview. And also, of course, you have you have Swan uh, himself becoming this meme where he just his facial expressions uh, looking at things because it's you know, it's it's just so amusing to see all of these these kind of these almost goofy facial expressions because he's just, you know, gobsmacked by the responses. Um, there are a lot of theories out there about why this was such a successful interview in terms of uh, throwing the president off balance and why, and why Swan was better at this uh, than most other interviewers. And, and I think part of it is he's, he, he stuck to his follow-up questions really well in that, um, you know, he he didn't back off every time Trump said something completely ridiculous, which which I think a lot of people just just kind of roll their eyes a bit and do. Uh, but he he sort of stuck to his guns on those, and I I think that helped him. Um, but you know, it's it's a really interesting thing too, and in that you see this more and more. You see it a lot with with a lot of the core Trump supporters going on Fox where maybe they get in too comfortable of an environment and say something especially newsworthy that maybe they shouldn't have. You know, you see it with Giuliani a lot. So, um, you know, I I think it's going to be something of a case study for people in the media in terms of how you do, how you do interviews with somebody more predict, unpredictable, shall we say. Yeah. I I mean, to be fair, uh, Trump had done an interview with Chris Wallace on Fox, hadn't he? Yes. Before and then Wallace did did uh, you know did give him a bit of a grilling as well and made him yes. his questions. Uh, Jonathan is an interesting uh, 
guy. He's an Australian, and he's you know he's got that uh, ability to. He knew his stuff, right? He'd done his prep, and he could follow up. And that and that sometimes when you're watching the press briefings at the White House, you wonder the reporters don't always seem as prepped as they should be. And of course, in a press conference environment you don't get the chance to do follow-ups very often and with a one-on-one you can do more of that but uh, what right. do you think as uh Kayan, as a media relations professional you know in terms of the the interview you'll be very familiar with axios being in dc yeah. um, and maybe know jonathan better than a lot of other people yeah I think the winner in this interview is absolutely Axios um, and Jonathan Swan. What I think, Steve, you hit it early on um, bringing this up that maybe, you know, all of our listeners don't really, you know, read Axios on a regular basis. The Axios HBO interview where this aired, the ratings were up 33%. So, you know, you hear that and you think, wow, a lot of people tuned in to watch it. But the total number of viewers was only 136,000. So it's a very niche audience. After that, over 40 million views and people had seen and watched and the listicles and the memes. On, on social, yeah. Of course. And that, that's also a little bit indicative of how, you know, communications is, you know, feeding off the, you know, traditional, the, the uh, digital. But, you know, as someone who's been in Washington 25 years and worked on political campaigns, recovering all be on election day and you know the electorate's so polarized if you liked trump before you probably still do if you didn't you think this is the perfect proof point of my goodness how could he be president and we'll see but either way i think axios comes out a winner in terms of ratings awareness followership and they absolutely have smart reporters um who do their homework and jonathan yeah, yeah, very smart. Yeah, it ran at 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday, which is clearly not exactly prime time. And uh, I think normally that that was a partnership that Axios took over from Vice, and that used to run right. at seven in, the, 7 in the evening, which would put it right up against 60 minutes. But um, just as with all the late shows, the entertainment shows now, they get a, most, a, a lot of their interaction via social in the next morning. Exactly. And that mm-hmm. clearly was the case with this one, and it just dominated the news agenda for the – Whole of the next day. What about the, the the just talking about the mechanics here of you know media relations and um, media training? You know, for the president in those both those interviews I mentioned has sort of called on his press secretary to give him shots <laughs> live it's during the interview. Um, I mean, what do you think of that as a technique? Is it, it it? I mean, he's trying to back up his case, but should he not know that stuff off? you know, off by heart or it doesn't look, it's not a great look, is it, in the middle of an interview? It's such a, he's such a case study in and of himself (laughs) that I don't know, you know, many communicators who could, you know, how do you media train someone like him? You know, it's going to be extemporaneous and off the cuff. And much of what he does tend to use, like the charts and the graphs are for props. They're not to really, you know, and that's his style. It's the reality TV element of it. So it's such an anomaly, but absolutely not. Like, you know, when we're, when we're training executives and media training, we're running them through, not that they're over rehearsed. We do want them to be themselves, but what are your three messages and how do you bridge to, you know, back to reiterating and, and, and what are you saying? Is it matching internally versus externally? And that's where you start to see with this administration and president, it's all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah. my design, I believe. 
That's a good guys, point. Yeah. Would you would you want the gig of me, media training Donald Trump? Probably not. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think, the, and from the re- journalistic point of view and the reporter, the, the lesson there is to be not be afraid to push back and and exactly. say you're, you're wrong. And actually, this is why. And 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 these are the numbers. And this is and and, and making the case. You've got to have. You've got to be properly prepared. And you've got to have the sort of fortitude during an interview with a high-profile person to push back. So it was a fascinating episode in on so many levels and uh, certainly dominated the media agenda the next day. Frank, let's talk about um, diversity in PR, especially at agencies. We've featured Hold the Press on our channels, and they put out this call for agencies to release their uh, data, and a lot of them have done, to be fair. Yeah, so let's start with Edelman, um, who put out numbers. Uh, showing that 26.6% of its workforce is non-white. That percentage is up from 24% in 2018. Uh, And it's on its way to the firm's pledge to reach 30% racial or ethnic diversity in its workforce in the U.S. by 2022. But clearly, they still have have some work to do on that. So uh, their senior leadership, which is anybody that's SVP or above, is 14% racially or ethnically diverse. Obviously, I think most people think it should be a higher number than that. Uh, 53% of its U.S. senior leadership is female, which uh, I, I think a lot of people will give them credit for. So it's the first time they've, they've released this, this full percentage-wise uh, description of, of its workforce breakdown. They, they have often released other sets of numbers about their diversity, but it's this type of data set for the first time. Uh, so that's Edelman. Um, Taylor has also uh, shared its workforce diversity numbers with the Hold the Press initiative, which we'll be following up on uh, soon and seeing what kind of response they got from all types of firms. Uh, but Taylor's Taylor's workforce breaks down that 42% of its employees are non-white, including 24% of its workforce, which is black, and the entire workforce is 63% female. Yeah, it's interesting stuff, and I think um, Edelman's uh, numbers are okay. They need to do better at the senior levels, and Richard Edelman has Mm. said he is going to recruit someone to the C-suite board. Um, I think it was by the end of... Uh, August or September, so uh, that's another one to chase up on. Taylor, it's interesting because two of the founders of Hold the Press are from that agency, um, Shade and Nisa, who we featured on the, on our channels too. Very impressive young women, young black PR professionals. Um, so they they're clearly Taylor's clearly behind the initiative. So they're letting their staff get involved in that. And of course, we reported last week that Hold the Press has teamed up with the advertising group um, to make it to have more heft. So. Um, that's good to see. So, uh, Kayan, what's uh, what about uh, diversity in agencies? You know, it's a big issue, isn't yeah. it? And, um, yeah, it is. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think you know, I love the challenge to have the information out there and to share and bring sunshine to it because we all have work to do. Um, you know, none of us, you know, in and outside of PR, have cracked the nut on this. And the more that we can share transparently where we're starting from, and then you know, the, the different promises and pledges that are made, then we can, as leaders, be held accountable, learn from each other, check back on where we are in the continuum, because it's not a one and done. It's not just a statement. It's 
in every day. It's core to business operations. And I believe that, you know, as communicators and in public relations, especially, um, we have to reflect the public to do our jobs well. And, and we see so many of the missteps in some campaigns and, um, you know, and apologies coming out there. And I do think that the inclusiveness, the belonging diversity helps us be better communicators and provide better client service. And it's the right thing to do. So I love when the bigs, you know, an element is the biggest shares where they are and then what they're pledging to do because you know, we can have big change with the big organizations too. We can learn from each other. Um, the challenge I think we all have is we all want the numbers to improve. The pipeline is so important and that senior leadership number is so important too. And then compounding it by, um, you know, race, but also, you know, having women of color in leadership. And the more that we can have that intersection in, in leadership and report honestly on the numbers, the better, I think. Definitely. Frank, has uh, Ketchum released their numbers yet? I'm not sure they have. I know Edelman and Weber have, so uh, I'm not sure the Ketchum and Fleischmann, the, the Omnicom firms, have yet. I have not seen them if they have, but it's something we'll be following up on soon. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about Pinterest. It's had a bit of a spike. I think it sort of, I don't know, it seemed to fade, not be as high profile for a while. It was a, a sort of um, and then it had some issues around the personnel side internal. But um, it certainly spiked in interest during COVID-19, hasn't it, as people are in lockdown and looking for things to do and hobbyists and, and you know, home cooking, home decorating of, of big big things on uh, Pinterest. Tell us about the spike in interest there. Yeah, for sure. They've uh, Pinterest has seen uh, a resurgence uh, in its numbers and uh, in people using the platform for everything from, you know, learning how to knit, to crochet, to uh, bake bread, to, you know, do all of these things you might not do unless you were pretty much locked uh, in the house for two to three months. So um, speak for yourself, Frank. Seen a, a resurgence. Uh, in interest recently. Now they have a new uh, head of communications. That's a Walmart veteran, uh, mm -hmm. Lamia Jenkins. Now her role is going to be global head of comms. Um, and she started in the role last week. One really interesting thing about this appointment that we don't see a lot of is that she reports to the CFO, uh, Todd Morgenfeld. Uh, we don't really see a direct report up to the CFO that often. Um, and she's overseeing folks who's, who manage internal comms, corporate comms, product and ad communications, and the chief of staff for communications. Um, she's the replacement for Christine Shermer, um, who took on that role in 2017, uh, but is now working on other projects at the company. Yeah, Kayan, Pinterest is always interesting to me because unlike a lot of social networks, it kind of came out of mid-America. You know, it wasn't on the on the West or East Coast. And it was also um, led by women and um, mm -hmm. had a very different personality. What What's your take on its sort of revival and Pinterest as a platform? I, I love seeing, you know, the revival. I love also seeing, you know, this new appointment of Lamia Jenkins because, you know, I, I too was trying to read the tea leaves of, you know, what, uh, you know, someone with her background, what that might mean, the direction Pinterest is looking to go. And, you know, knowing that she was at Walmart, but then also dabbled in, you know, she, she worked for, um, 
Hillary Clinton on her presidential campaign. I'm wondering if the intersection of all the issues um, that tech companies are facing and her having a global role, if they might take a more intentional effort on the on the intersection, the consumers, the regulation, the, the those types of aspects as as well, as opposed to just being consumer facing. Um, and certainly anyone that has been at Walmart <laughs> has that experience yeah. in space. Yeah. So. Now, that's a good point, actually. And um, yeah, I'm sure she'll be spending some time in D.C. Um, because uh, they're all under the microscope. Let's finish with another agency story. I love this one. Sarah Brooks and Covet PR. Sarah was a guest on the podcast about a year ago. And now she's sold her agency, Frank. Amazing. This is yes. why you come on the PR week. Yeah, and, and she had a success story to tell. Covet PR's 2019 revenue was up 25% uh, to about $3.8 million last year. Um, and so they are now teaming up with Power Digital uh, to create a firm that's going to have about $40 million uh, in estimated revenue this year. Um, Covet is going to more or less keep its branding as as the earned media or PR division of Power Digital. Uh, and Sarah is going to be um, uh, leading that group. Uh, so it, it's a, it's an interesting deal. Uh, Power Digital is an, it's an interesting firm, you know, very, very digital marketing focused. Um, it has teams on both coasts. So yeah, I, I we'll definitely keep an eye on this firm and, and see how uh, they're integrating in. Yeah, we featured Sarah in our, around the home office uh, earlier in the summer. She's just had a, a new baby, and she was sort of running the agency from home. It was a great, great picture actually to accompany it with her two young kids there. Kayan, what's the sort of end game for Curly Company? Are you uh, looking? For- <laughs> as well, just why you're on the PR week? <laughs> I love, I love, you know, following Sarah and and you know Covet's um, progression and see so much of you know. Jennifer Curley and her entrepreneurship and what she's built in Sarah. And so much of the stories are similar when she said in the piece that, um, you know, Thomas Moore wrote that the future of PR is 360, that it's, you know, that there's a heavy integration and the lines are blurry. Like that is, you know, that is very similar to how we operate as well. And I think it's a little bit more on the, you know, it's that sweet spot size at like three to 4 million. And you can truly, be agile. You can truly um, service in, in in a new way um, that you know clearly she's done well with, and and Power Digital has taken note. So I love hearing these kinds of stories. It like feeds my entrepreneurial soul, and especially when there's a, a, a woman leader involved. Absolutely, yeah, we're big fans of Sarah. So well done to her, and hope she does um, great things ahead in the new structure. Um, let's- Ken, thank, thanks for being on the show. Great to chat to you. Lots of subjects. It's flown by. So uh, continue yeah. good luck in D.C. At, uh, at Curly Company. Yes, thank you so much. I really enjoy listening each week. So it's an honor to be on with you all. Yeah, great to have you on. Frank, always a pleasure. And uh, you're going to be doing the show on your own next week because I'm going away for a few days. So um, take good care of it, my friend. And uh, <laughs> as you always do. Um, yeah, just a couple of uh, housekeeping announcements. The big PR Week Awards are done for this year, but the uh, 
2021, entries are open already. We've uh, seven months to the next one. So uh, do get uh, planning for that because that will come up quickly. I know Betsy Quinn at Ketchum will be looking at that um, Kay Ann, she was a she's a an absolute machine in terms of getting all the uh, awards entries. Uh, in yes, front. she is. <laughs> she's amazing. <laughs> That's a great job. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, we've also got the Hall of Fame. That's on September the seventeenth. Um, a, a real opportunity to celebrate women in PR. Then we have our big PR decoded event from October the thirteenth to the fifteenth, which includes the Purpose Awards on the fourteenth, and we'll be uh, unveiling the shortlist for the Purpose Awards next week. And uh, the 40 Under 40 celebration is on October the 29th. So all of those will be uh, further examples for us to demonstrate our virtual chops and uh, put great events together for you. But that's all we've got time for this week. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Bye.